and welcome to the Department of Metal Antiquities. Where we remember what everyone else has forgotten. As always, it is Nick Cameron, also of Glacier Musical, joined by my good friend, a musical man out of Leeds in the United Kingdom. How are we doing today, Duncan? Yeah, doing all right, getting by. How are you doing, Nick? I'm doing very serious today. Today is a very serious day. Okay, and why is that? I have no idea. I just have been too silly okay. lately, so... Uh, all right, no. well, we'll see when we get onto our subject today whether we can stay serious or whether that's going to get silly. Well, uh, since you brought up the subject, we might as well go ahead and mention it. Today's subject is the 50th greatest concept record according to Rolling Stone from 2022. I question their their, their numbers if it made that list, but I, quest, I question. But it is, of course, the album... Kilroy was here by the greatest rock band in the history of that particular neighborhood of Chicago in uh, neighborhood in Chicago sticks. Okay. But before we get to that, we have a guest this week. We are joined by an amazingly interesting, handsome gentleman from the city of New York, the self-proclaimed greatest city in the world. However, I would suggest to New York that they check out St. Louis just to make sure that their numbers are correct. I question their numbers as well. I'm questioning all the numbers today. We are joined by one of the guitar players from Clouds Taste Satanic, Steve Scavuzzo. How are we doing today? Very well, and thank you for that wonderful introduction. Uh, now I've got something to live up to, and I'm not sure I'm going to be able to match that. So we'll see what happens. I should have brought a beer, too. <laughs> well, I, I, I've got a fridge behind me, but as you are a time zone and a half away, I, uh, I apologize. It. Yeah, okay. I, got, uh, I got some local stuff, as nice. always. But I guess we should talk about you for a minute rather than the beer that I have, because it's not that interesting, because nobody can get it far away from me. But what has been going on in the Clouds Taste Satanic orbit lately? I have heard tale, and I don't know if this is true, but I have heard tale that you have been, you have just released a very seriously critically acclaimed new record. Yes, thank you for, for, for mentioning that. It's um, 79 AE, the latest Clouds Taste Satanic opus was released yesterday, March 1st, on Bandcamp Friday, and um, it's been uh, receiving some very good reviews and we were greatly appreciating uh, that we put a lot of work into it and we're really happy with the way it turned out but like any album you always wonder you know once you set it free in the world what other people are going to think of it um, and uh, so far it's yeah the reception has been good we're very proud of the music we're really proud of the sonic quality of the record it's an interesting backstory to it and uh, and we're happy with it well, obviously, it is the greatest album you've ever done because every new album is the greatest album that anybody has ever done. But apart from that, how would you? How do you? How how confident are you in an improvement over your previous work on this one? Um, well, it's shorter, and <laughs> when you're doing 21 minute long songs, sometimes that's a little better for uh, you know balance. Uh, the last record, uh, Tales of Demonic Possession, we it was a four song double album and there's a lot going on uh, we're of course very proud of that record uh, but we did make a conscious effort to try and um simplify things a touch i mean i don't know if we can ever be completely simple but i think we went into this project which was when it started a, a score to a, a film about the apocalypse that was had been written and was supposed to be filmed that didn't happen but we did go in with the idea of musically 
because it was a score uh, cutting back a little bit on on what we're throwing down. And uh, also, I think with the last record as well, too, there was a lot going on. So we made a conscious effort to 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 simplify a little bit. And I think it worked for us. Well, previous podcast subject here, Pink Floyd, we have done, I believe we've done both of their their honest soundtrack albums. We've also done one of Roger Waters' soundtrack albums. We have done Jimmy Page's soundtrack albums. When you went to score a movie, you didn't have the actual film like they did, as you pointed out, that the 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 movie was a lot like Kiss's Music from the Elder, where there was a script. It was not filmed. It hasn't happened. I'm going to presume it will happen. I'm going to hold out hope on that one for you. But since it's a score, since do you view this more like a symphonic piece or do you view this more like it is a collection of several songs put together in one track? Well, we even though we only had the script when starting, I, the idea was to to develop some ideas based on the script. Uh themes to some extent and we were confident that at some point along the line we were going to start receiving some footage and then we'd probably see how well we did with with matching ideas to themes from the script uh when the script never when the uh the movie didn't materialize we um we kept with the themes um i guess with all our work you could consider them a, a collection of songs strung together I, I don't think that's ever really changed whether you call them songs whether you call them themes uh, basic same uh, same idea and uh, i think we we kept with that we wanted to make sure we had some core themes we wanted to make sure we re revisited them i guess that's works for scores in movies it works for classical music and it's always worked for us as well too when when we've done that I one thing I've always wondered is somebody who failed at being a failed musician. I didn't quite put enough effort into it to be a failed musician, so I failed at failing. But uh, who can play? You know, I use air quotes on that one. But how do you do? You find it difficult to remember these twenty-two minute songs, or do you just tend to play them a little bit differently every time? It's like anything else in the world. You practice, and when you practice, you get you get better at remembering it. It's interesting because we're preparing some songs for uh, we're playing some shows in Europe in May, and we're going back and and you know grabbing some material, and we have so many things, and they're so long that it is almost impossible to keep stuff you know in memory. So you got to go back and and in essence relearn things. And the older they are, the harder it is, of course. Um, but you know what? Again, to be honest with you, it feels I think it's more of a chore to to play a four minute song and then stop and and find something to do and then start up again. Um, I find it easier just to kind of focus on on okay, well, well, let's just play five songs in in twenty minutes and we're just not going to stop. And so when when we're working on things, uh, I at least and the rest of the band seems to gravitate more towards. Um, it's easier to remember when you're just focusing on that 20 minutes than trying to remember five individual pieces or five individual songs that are coming one after the other. It's great also that we don't have to have set lists. <laughs> when, when your set list is two songs long, it's pretty easy. It's, it feels absolutely silly to actually write them down on paper. So if you can't remember the names of two songs. 
I think that is the greatest thing I've ever heard you say. Has there ever been any discussion of like doing a medley and chopping down a few things or is it, are these things just so self-contained that it would feel in awkward to do so? We've actually kicked around some ideas of, of chopping things around and, and, and we've come to the conclusion that um, while we can't play, uh, you know, four 20 minute songs, we, we don't have the set times that we, that, that, you know, you basically got 40 minutes. So you've got to make 40 minutes happen. You can use two 20 minute songs, but if you want to play some other pieces, you, you know, you take sections. Um, I wouldn't say we don't edit the sections. We just take sections from different songs and, and string them together. Um, and because uh, we actually, it, it does matter. And, and, and editing a 20 minute song down to 10 minutes uh, is a lot different than taking two 10 minute segments from two different songs because when they were originally written and, and recorded, they were thought out in a, in a certain manner. And when you stop, start chopping things up that were originally, that originally went together, it doesn't sound right to us. You know, I, I'd rather play a shortened version of a 20 minute song than, than an edited version of a, of a 20 minute song. If that makes sense. No, it makes complete. It makes, it makes very good sense. I've always wondered if you thought about like taking the beginning, middle and end of like three different songs and just kind of Frankensteining that together. So that way you get more of a flavor of what you've done rather than because like as you're playing two songs a night and as your latest record is two songs, you could easily go out there and just play the new record front to back. Which would be easier. Uh, uh, absolutely. But, you know, sometimes, you know, even some of the sets, we've got to be prepared to play 30 minute sets. We're playing desert fest in london and they're not going to give us 40 minutes maybe I, i'm not 100 percent sure but we have to be prepared for oh your set's 30 minutes or your set's 35 minutes uh sorry we didn't tell you before you know and so you you can't rely on oh what our set is 40 minutes we've got to play 40 minutes you've got to be able to like you know accommodate with different things and i think sometimes people want to hear some older stuff as well too well at that point in time you would also be able to pull out a few of the covers from the cloud covered album that would be an option as well too. We've talked about doing those things, you know, again, when you've got 40 minutes and you've got so much original material, there's always a debate in the band. Uh, but we, you know, we settle on things and, and whether it's shortened versions of a song or just shorter songs from the past, we'll we find a way to, you know, have stuff ready to go. I, I would think it would be a bit difficult with the way Cloud Stay Satanic writes and plays being the, you know, the 20 minute song being your, your signature to go on a tour like that where you would have varying set lists because if you don't have that 20 minute block i would think that it would be a slightly more difficult in order to craft a set list rather than somebody who has this has 55 minute songs that they could easily just go yeah we, we've got essentially i would guess four or five pieces at the most one's a 20 minute song one's a 10 minute song so again we've got enough enough pieces that once we know what the set's going to be, we can put something together fairly easily. Because again, you only you only have five choices, so <laughs> it's not like a jigsaw puzzle. You know, you got five. You have five pieces. You got to manage to get together, or just take three and put them together, or one. <laughs> Sorry, your set's been chopped in twenty minutes. No problem. We've got a twenty minute song. <laughs> well, I'm I'm doing all the talking. Duncan, is there anything you wanted to ask? Uh, just yeah, I was just going to ask where else are you coming in Europe? I mean, Desert Fest is always great. I've reviewed it for the past couple of years, and may well be there again this year. So where else are you coming over in Europe? 
Uh, well, the only thing we've got so far confirmed is a festival in Amsterdam on May 31st. Um, I don't know more of the details. I know we're playing in Antwerp two days before. I know there's another show in the UK the day after in Bristol. Um, I think that's May 18th. Um, so we're, I guess we're probably staying in the, uh, well, not, I wouldn't say Northern Europe, but kind of in the, uh, Belgium, Holland, Germany area this time around, you know, last year we were up in, um, Sweden, uh, in, uh, Denmark and, and Norway. So we kind of hit those things. So we won't hit that this time. We'll go a little farther South and then maybe next year we'll go even farther. So maybe we'll manage to make it to Italy one of these days. <laughs> Nice. Sounds good. And have you got any other shows coming up at all, or is it just the Europe uh, leg that you've got coming? We have um, uh, our our friends in the band Geezer are putting together a show for 420 in Connecticut. Um, and we're excited to play that. That's coming up in April. And we really do not have any other shows. We've been probably working on the set list. And I think we've been a little pickier about playing shows in the New York area. Um and there's, I would say there's a lot going on with the uh, with the um, <clears throat> record coming out, so that's kind of kept us a little busy. But yeah, we probably should play one or two more shows before we go. We'll see. Nice. Sounds good. Yes, we're excited. Alrighty, and as always, you can catch out catch all their business at cloudstastetanic.bandcamp.com, and you can see where I have. Uh, I, I'm obviously I, I love your band and I have purchased most of your albums. So uh, go ahead and if anybody's on there, follow me on Bandcamp too. I need friends. We appreciate that. But let's go ahead and transition into the meat of the episode. We are now talking about the greatest record of 1983, at least the greatest record from February of 1983 at 3 p.m. on February 27th, maybe. Uh, oh, wait, Kill em All came out in 1983. Oh, I guess that's not the greatest record. I'm pretty sure there's an Iron Maiden record in there, too. Oh, well. We were talking about one of the shortest concept records I've ever heard, which is Sticks. Kilroy was here. I can remember this coming out as a child. I guess I would have been seven when it hit. I know I was older than that when I was listening to it, which might explain why I had never seen any of the videos before today. Four music videos on this one, four singles. This album was recorded, was, I'm sorry, this album was written in response to the, I believe it was Louisiana passing a law stating that all albums that are back have backmasking must put a warning label. Because, of course, at this time... Let me this... explain what that means, which is the backwards masking is where you have a message, usually just a spoken part, just some words, which is then reversed so that you can only decipher what those words are by reversing the recording, by playing the tape the wrong way round. Um, and there's this, there was this idea that secretly satanic messages or other such uh, evil was being sort of uh, disseminated via these backward masking messages. And if you can't understand it unless you play the record backwards, what is the point of this? I don't know that this is the best method of mass communication in order to find your satanic minions. Just saying maybe a carrier pigeon would have been more useful than this particular process. Because how would I even know if it was backmasked? I mean, were people just listening to all of their records backwards then? 
Yeah, and it's a strange one, isn't it? Especially because back then it was very, very difficult to be able to listen to a record record backwards. Nowadays, no, you could you could just turn it on the turntable backwards. I suppose. Okay, yeah, all right. I suppose you could if it's a vinyl record. Yeah, okay. Yeah, we're talking nineteen eighty three. That we're still cassette tapes are out, but they're not. They're still the expensive thing that nobody's really sure about yet. And Mm -hmm. it's it's interesting when you think about. There's that word again. Uh, When you think about the history of recorded music, because recorded music has existed since about 1890 uh, as mass media. And for all but 30 years of it, the dominant force has been vinyl records. So it always just keeps going back to it. I guess we should all just kind of give in on this one and just accept it. But yeah, so I don't know if any I don't know of anybody that has ever listened to a record backwards. No idea. I did hear that if you took a cassette tape and flipped it over, you could listen to it backwards. I don't Maybe. Know if that's true. Maybe. I, I don't know how that would exactly work because you flip them anyway to get this the other side, don't you? Oh, good uh, point. But, so I don't know about that. I don't You'd know. Rig something up differently, I think. I know I have never listened to anything backwards. But I will say, in response to the backmasking controversy, Styx did put the the Latin mottos from the dollar bill on this record, backmasked. Indeed so, they did. Indeed they did. On the song Heavy Metal Poisoning, which I think is my favorite Styx title of all time, it... Mm-hmm. It uh, it it says Anno Domini or something like that. I, I forget. Ironically, the least metal song of all time. But it's the most metal stick song of all time. I would disagree with that. I think that's wrong too. I okay, think Calloway probably is more metal. <laughs> we'll get into that in a little while for sure. But okay, but you didn't see the dude in the in the the, the jean jacket that was uh-huh. getting his heavy metal exercise from him in the video. Nice. I'm glad that they. I'm glad that he had the proper metal attire, at least. He was not wearing, but there were no patches. <gasps> yeah, it was just a I jean jacket. Not, like no, not oh, even any logos written on it. I mean, it was. Yeah. Anyway, so that they they wrote this. Well, I, I should say they wrote this. I should say Dennis DeYoung conceived an idea of a stage show and concept record, probably a movie, probably starring himself. So I'm going to give a quick rundown of the story. The idea is the majority for morality in music, MMM, comes out, creates a fascist government, which, as we all know, fascism is an extreme dictatorship intertwined with religion. And he tries, he convinces the entire country to outlaw rock music because rock music is the, the source of all ills in our society. Okay, sounds familiar. It also sounds a very original idea, something that nobody had ever come up with before. I can't think of any other band that wrote a semi-mini opera about music being outlawed and then somebody trying to bring it back. Man, can anybody else think of a a song maybe? Maybe a 22-minute song by a progressive band from Canada? Just, yeah, I mean, well, I'm just I I we're talking yeah, about twenty one twelve by Rush. Oh, yeah, oh I was gonna say that. <laughs> oh wow, I was just kind of throwing things out there. Is that real? Did they really yeah. do that in nineteen seventy four? Ten years before this. Exactly. Maybe they did it better. I'm just gonna say it. They did it better. Uh, the the cover of this album, of course, shows one of Doctor Righteous's rallies, 
and it's being flanked by two of the Mr. Robotos. The con- the other idea of this of this album, this story, I should say, it is a near future where everyone has robots. Now, we have a robot. We have a Roomba. I say I cohabitate with the Roomba because when the Roomba rises up with its robot brethren, I want him to know what side I'm on. I'm on his side. My family's on his side. We will just sell out the human race immediately. I've seen Terminator. I know how this goes. I will I will serve them. Now, if you've seen the cover of the album, you know that the picture of the Mr. Roboto is, I would say, slightly racist in 1982, which makes it extraordinarily racist in 2024. Uh, and yeah, not... there's also this thing in um, the prison where they're all being served fried chicken, and you think, what's this all about? <laughs> we'll like get to that. Fried we'll, chicken we'll, for we'll breakfast, get... lunch, and dinner. We'll, we'll get to the movie. We'll get to the oh, movie. That's, a, a, good, that's a good question. Uh, but I was like, uh, well, uh, maybe the Japanese like 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 fried chicken. Or The Japanese do like fried chicken. However, they do not eat fried chicken the way we do. Although there is a lot of Kentucky fried chicken over there, and in Japan... Kentucky Fried Chicken is the traditional Christmas Day meal. Oh. Because the a, an enterprising Japanese franchisee of Kentucky Fried Chicken decided to convince Japan that that is the American thing to do. Because Americans eat turkey and goose on Thanksgiving. Well, we can't have that, but I, you can get a chicken from us. And okay. I'll do it. It's, it sounds ridiculous, but I have no way to disprove it. So I'm going to accept it. Sure. Uh, December 23rd to 26th, Kentucky Fried Chicken in Japan does 80% of their yearly business. Wow. I had no and, idea. And they come up with all these crazy meals that you can, like not crazy, but like elaborate meals that you buy from them and reheat at home. The belief is it caught on because in most Japanese apartments, they do not have ovens. So okay. they, they cannot cook a bird like we would cook a bird. Interesting. Hey, wow. it worked. It got as got. So back to the album cover. The I would also point out that the uh, racist caricature on Mr. Roboto is not even Japanese, but it is actually Chinese. Hmm. That is, oh, that is okay. the caricature of the, the idiot from every Kung Fu movie you have ever seen. Hmm. Which mm-hmm. is not Japanese. That is Chinese. But you know, you don't have you don't have the vinyl, do you? By any chance? I do have the vinyl. You do. Okay. So I was curious. I, I for some reason I thought I had it. I did not. I do not have it. Um, but I was wondering, you know, whether it was a gatefold sleeve. What, I mean, was there a lot more context given with the artwork, or was it all just like? I mean, I've seen the cover. Give me a moment, and I will go grab it off the turntable. Okay. Talk amongst yourselves. Oh, I'll drink amongst myself. Take your time. I'm nothing. So, um, so what else do you have on the background for this one, then, Stephen? Uh, for the album? Yes. Uh, well, you know, this time around, I actually spent more time listening through and actually taking some notes. I had a lot of questions, but I'm almost afraid of like you know what the answers are. So, well, um, we'll get, yeah, and we'll we'll get onto the track by track shortly. But I think Nick might have the uh, album covering question to talk about right now. He has it. So is it a gatefold, Nick? Is it a gatefold? Well, first off, let me say, this is my second copy of this album on vinyl that I've had. When I was in Rockford on a trip to see some minor league hockey last month, I came across this one, which is an original pressing for $12 minus 20%. 
So I bought that and I got rid of my 180 gram pressing. I'm trying to replace all of my 180 grams with, with um, original pressings if I can afford them because some of them get quite pricey. Now, is it a gatefold? Yes, it is. I dropped my, my, inner, my inner sleeve. The record's not in here. The record's on the turntable because I listened to it today. Uh, it is a gatefold. So here you have photos on the, on this side. It's the glossy business. You have photos from the 10-minute mini-movie, which we're going to talk about in a minute. And then on the back, it's got the, the cast listing. So you have Dennis DeYoung as Kilroy. And my favorite thing about Kilroy is his full name is... Robert is... Kilroy. Robert Kilroy. No, he's got four names. Okay. Uh, Robert Orrin something Kilroy. I, d I bet it spells rock, R-O-C-K. That's the idea, isn't it? I bet it does. It, I bet it will do. Hang on, let me see. Uh -huh. I didn't even... Yes, Robert Orrin Charles Kilroy. Well, there man. you go. It spells he out rock. Duncan oh, figured oh, it out. Oh. Duncan is smart. So then you've got, uh, so it's got, you know, picture of Dennis DeYoung as Kilroy. James, uh, James Young as Dr. Righteous. Man, they were so good on these names, aren't they? I mean, so subtle, so subtle. Uh, Tommy Shaw is Jonathan Chance, the story's actual protagonist, the real hero. Uh, Chuck Panazzo is Lieutenant Vanish. He's not, he doesn't even sing. So, I mean, I don't even know what that's all about. And then John Panazzo is Colonel Hyde. These are the, uh, the guys that are, that stand behind Dr. Righteous. Dr. Righteous is hype men in the heavy metal poisoning video. And then on the inside, I will read you. The inner sleeve, because it's got, on this side, it's got the background story, and then it has all of the lyrics. So, the past. Dr. Everett Righteous, founder and the leader of the MMM, the majority for musical morality, became influential in American politics through the use of his own cable TV network. He spoke about the evils of rock and roll music and how its permissive attitudes were responsible for the moral and economic decline of America. He was charismatic, entertaining, and above all, he understood the media. The MMM soon gained enough power to have rock and roll banned. Robert Ord excuse me, Robert Orrin Charles Kilroy was a world-famous rock and roll star. As the new law was passed, Kilroy and his band were finishing a national tour. Their last performance at the Paradise Theater would serve as the test case. On the night of the concert, Kilroy, as Kilroy played to a packed house, the MMM marched in and stormed the stage. When it was over, an MMM pro... Wait a minute. When it was over, a MMM protester was dead. That's not grammatically correct. It should be an. An MMM, shouldn't it? Anyway, Kilroy was convicted of murder and sent to a prison ship with the other rock and roll misfits. Wow, this is serious. This is very serious. This, this, is, a, this is the story of the mini-movie as well. Yes. It? No, th that's the pre-mini-movie. Now okay. here's... Yeah, okay. Now you're going to hear the story of the mini-movie, because now this is the second part. The present. The present is a future where Japanese manufactured robots designed to work cheaply and endlessly are the caretakers of society. Mr. Robotos are everywhere, serving as manual labor in jobs that were once held by humans. Dr. Righteous enforces his own morality by holding nightly rallies where crowds hurl rock and roll records and electric guitars into huge bonfires. 
Jonathan Chance, the rebel leader of an underground movement to bring back rock and roll, has made Kilroy the symbol of his cause. Meanwhile, Kilroy has spent a number of years in prison with no hope of release. He is subject to the humiliation of mind control via the MMM cable network. In an attempt to contact Kilroy, Jonathan jams the airways of the MMM network. Man, they say the MMM a lot in this. Replacing a mind control session with outlawed footage of a Kilroy concert. Inspired by Jonathan's message, Kilroy plots his escape. Late one night, he makes a daring attempt to free himself by overpowering a Robacho guard. Desi disguised as a Robacho, Kilroy moves freely throughout the city, leaving graffiti coded messages for Jonathan. Jonathan discovers the rock code, which leads him to the old Paradise Theater, now the site of Dr. Righteous's Museum of Rock Pathology. There he sees the last Kilroy concert mechanically depicted by Kilroy lookalike robots as the violent end of rock and roll. And there he and Kilroy meet for the very first time. Well, wow. I'm not going to say it's Shakespeare, but Shakespeare should watch out if this kind of writing is out there because it's <laughs> coming for him. That is just, just awful. I mean, that is truly terrible. Thoughts, anybody? Um, yeah, I mean, it's all been done before, hasn't it? And probably done quite a lot better than this. Um, yeah, you know, this is this is classic stuff. It's 2112 by Rush. It's also the uh, the Queen rock opera, whatever it's called, We Will Rock You, which came later, admittedly. But yeah, it's um, they're borrowing bits of 1984, aren't they? And they're making and it's in the context of the time with Mary Whitehouse and all that, which I think was around this time. Yeah, Mary Whitehouse was a few years ahead of this. She was called out by Roger Waters in the song Pigs, Three Different Ones. Yeah, that's true, yeah. So, yeah, it makes sense. It makes some political points, but um, I don't know. I found the, the movie a little bit confusing. It wasn't particularly obvious what was supposed to be happening. I think it's just a little bit simplistic really did anyone notice that Damone from fast times at ridgemont high was the sidekick to jonathan chance i did not notice that that was that was Damone from fast times at ridgemont high oh right 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 now i mean he only had four lines jonathan let's go you did it Ugh, i'll watch the door i mean that's basically his whole part the, the mini-movie is only 10 minutes. The mini-movie was created as the lead-up to the show. Because Dennison, again, Dennison envisioned this entire stage show. And once I did watch the mini-movie leading up to the show, and once the, the, the movie ends, it goes into Mr. Roboto. And it's just... just and I have the live album as well. And it's, 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 it's you wouldn't even know that... Oh my. I mean, this thing is so bloated and so pretentious. I don't know how it could be so bloated and so short. 40 minutes, and it feels like six hours. They're trying to cram six hours worth of material into Well, I wonder what, what the band is like thinking. I mean, you know, I guess you'd have to know a little bit more about Sticks and their history to try and get an idea of, of I mean, they were obviously a very successful band up to that point. I I do have that Paradise Theater record. For some reason, I thought that was their concept record. Is Paradise Theater? It is the also album? a concept record. It's also okay. So they had a taste of the concept and were like, okay, well, this worked really well. Let's double down on on, on this one. I have always felt that Sticks is American Pink Floyd. 
At least they want to be American Pink Floyd. Wait. They're, they're... <laughs> 25 words. I think that part's definitely true. Consider the album covers. Okay. Consider the esoteric songs they do. Consider... Now, they did it in, in an American way. So, you know, Roger Waters is, sing is writing a concept record about life and death and does it in this amazing, wonderful way where the songs weave in and out and it's commercially viable. Styx does light up because they sing about, you know, Pink Floyd sings about stuff like that. It's just Pink Floyd does it with meaning and, and purpose. Well, I realized that they they utilized hypnosis uh, for at least one of their album covers. I know, uh, um, I can't remember which record it was. So you get you did you definitely get the visual element of. Well, I mean, picture the cover to like Pieces of Eight. Picture the cover to Grand Illusion. These are very Pink Floydy style covers. It's just the difference is the Sticks didn't understand the meaning the message all they understood was the superficial which is in a very american point of view if you ask me well i wonder how much you know i, I realized that uh, dennis de young was the the architect of 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 this concept um and it, as, in listening to the record you know you you kind of get tommy popping up in there i'm not i didn't look at the writing credit so i'm not 100 percent sure you know how much influence dennis had uh, or you know it, uh, Dennis wrote uh, da, 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 a good, a good half of the record. Right when 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 I'm sure when Roger Waters, I mean, I think he, had, he by the time he hit the wall was to the point of like, well, I've written out this story here, guys. You know, these are your two options, and 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 they chose the wall, and you know, the rest is history. I, I was under the impression a little bit that that when when Dennis DeYoung presented this idea. There was a little bit of a blowback from from some of the other more rocking band members about, yeah. Okay, well, we're really drifting a little bit far away from the guitar tones at, at a minimum, and I, I suppose it would be extremely difficult to to argue with the guy with their version of with their Roger Waters, who's essentially, I assume, writing the really big hits that are you know keeping them in the, whatever lifestyle it is that they. Uh, they have now grown accustomed to by by 1980s oh yeah i mean uh, that, I, that i think is is almost a, a more interesting story than the actual album itself i would love to know i because i i my understanding is that by the end of this album or thereafter they they fired dennis mm -mm. <laughs> no no dennis was no, not fired not until 99 so oh, okay tom this is the last album of the classic sticks lineup and this tour is the last tour of the Classic Sticks lineup. After this album is done and this album and tour is done, Tommy Shaw's, what he said in the Behind the Music was, I just can't write songs about robots. And which I think is ridiculous because, I mean, you can write songs about being a wanted desperado in 1845, but, but writing a song about robots, that's a bridge too far. I mean, just put your, whatever, whatever, Tommy, you do you. So he does a couple, you know, seriously un, unremember, Unmemorable solo records joins Damn Yankees with uh, He Who Shall Not Be Named and then comes back to Sticks. However, when he comes back to Sticks, this is when the drummer, uh, da, 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 John Panazzo, he could not do the reunion tour because of his alcoholism. And he ended up dying while they were on tour. 
Wow. So that's this is well, yeah. It it always gets dark if you got it behind the music. I mean, no behind the music doesn't get dark. That, that's like <laughs> the whole. That that's the whole. Th- I missed that show. Bring it back. <laughs> oh Bring it back. God. But so this this is the last gasp. And then in 1999, the sticks had been on hiatus for a minute in the 90s after because they didn't tour again after the reunion tour, and. But then all of a sudden, Freaks and Geeks is pushing sticks, and Adam Sandler is doing all these sticks references, and it's just that the that seventies and early eighties nostalgia was really big in the late nineties, and everybody's like, "All right, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's let you know, let's catch lightning in a bottle." And Dennis is like, "Ah, guys, I can't. I I got this light thing going on where I'm a, I'm I'm allergic to stage lighting now, and besides, oh. I'm working on my Broadway play, and I'm doing that, and." So they all kind of sat around and they're like, uh, what do we do? So they took a vote and they kicked Dennis to the curb and they brought somebody in to sound like Dennis. <laughs> touring ever since. They have released two albums since then. Three albums. Uh, one of them, I, the first time I saw Sticks was I believe in 06-ish? I want to say 06. No, it was 04 or 05. And... They were touring behind Cyclorama, which another Pink Floydy style cover where they got a big carrot on the front. And they go, all right, we're going to play three songs off our new album. It's all right. It's all right. We're going to play all hits for the rest of the night, though. So don't worry. And I went, wow, you just apologized for playing your new record. (laughs) I'm not in. I'm, I'm all of a sudden I now have no interest in these songs because you have no faith in them. Then they did a covers album, then they released one a couple of years ago called The Mission, which is another concept album about going to Mars, and everything I've heard from it is just abjectly terrible. Uh, Dennis DeYoung, however, has also released two records in the past couple of years, and they're pretty good, if you like Sticks, because they sound just like Sticks. Right. So yes, Dennis DeYoung is the architect. But the the band was, yes, you were absolutely right when you brought up that they started going synthy, which obviously the two guitar players did not want to be synthy. They wanted to be guitar players. And Dennis just kind of got took this to a really weird place. And uh, as we pointed out earlier, it is a tired story. It is a overdone story. And to do this, you have to do it really, really well. And I guess unless anybody else has anything to say, I think that is a good segue to get into the track by track to find out if they did do it very, very well. Well, the only thing I was going to say briefly was that this went platinum, I believe, um, in both the US and Canada. Um, However, the reviews that I can see here are not great. I think these are real quick uh, platinum in Canada is not nearly as significant as platinum in the United States. Well, yeah, but isn't that because the population's yeah, less? Yeah, yeah, So, So it kind of still works. Yeah, it, I guess. It, you know what? I take yeah. that back because it's a million in the States, and in Canada, it's 100,000. Exactly. And basically, for every one Canadian, there's 10 Americans anyway. So, yeah, okay, you know, it is the same. I take it, it back. kind of works. But the reviews I can see here are not great. We've got a two-and-a-half star, a two-star, and a three-star. Um, so there obviously was some degree of high praise for it, given that um, Rolling Stone, I believe, put it as number, what was it, number 22 in the greatest concept albums of all time. So, as you mentioned... But there 50, are I'm sorry, 50. Number 50. 50 of 50. 50 of 50, right, in 2022. <laughs> sorry, that's where I got 22 from. Yeah, but the people who but wrote that some... list in 2022 are now nostalgic for 40 years ago, yeah. rather than the people who gave it a two-star review as it happened. 
Yeah, so I think this kind of did well at the time, but has been maybe looked back on as not being brilliant, certainly from some quarters. It was the, it was actually a downturn. It was their first album in like in a string that did not go multi platinum. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, okay, well, I'm ready to get into the track by track then. All righty, get all your emotions on because you're not Mr. Roboto. Okay, who's starting on these? Uh, Steve, you start, Duncan, and yeah. then I'll finish up. Mr. Roboto, wow. Okay, well, you know, a surprise that you know that that's obviously the song that that if you've got any memory of the record at all, that's the one that's going to jump out. Um, it was uh, less aggressive than I thought it was. It was more catchy than I remember it being. Um, but it all it raised a lot of questions. I mean, it's not surprising that it was a quote unquote hit song, um, but it did raise a lot of questions about the whole uh, Japanese thing going on again it's probably the now still to this day the only second word i know in japan in japanese i guess i know sayonara and domo arigato mr well you can probably say it without mr <laughs> so i guess i learned a little bit of japanese from this song so i feel like it was instructional in that way um it's catchy i guess it it's supposed to tell a story from a concept record point of view, it seems a little awkward throwing that as a number one. Uh, it really feels like it should be falling maybe three or four on side one. But uh, I feel like they had to truncate this this album a little bit. I'm happy that it's only 40 minutes long, but most concept records go at least a, a double. And 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 you'd think that you'd want to tell a, bit, a little bit more of the story. And I think Mr. Robata probably should have Pull on a three or four, but that's the song. That's that's right there. That's all you need to know from Kilroy is Mr. Roboto. Yeah, so this one, I, I didn't know what to expect. Um, what I got was a lot of prog rock synth to the point where really this is getting into synth pop. We're, we're almost not even in rock territory here. It's so slick, it's so tight, it's so synthy, it's so on the beat and sort of quantized. Um, whether it literally was chopped up, I don't know, but it feels that way, as though the drums are very sort of artificially processed and time-wise. So there's a really catchy chorus, and it's slight. it's got this edge of darkness, but in a cheesy 80s kind of sci-fi movie way. Um and it's ironic in a way that this is all about rock music being banned and it's very unrock, honestly. It's much more synth pop prog. And yeah, the lyrics are obviously telling this story um, about the dystopia where rock music is banned and what happens from then on. I think it's it's great for what it is, and this is probably gonna be a running thing for me. It's really good for what it is, but I don't really like it. I'm sorry, guys. This is just, this is too much for me. It's too um, synth pop. Not that there's anything wrong with synth pop, but it's too, when you've got prog rock merging with synth pop and it's this early 80s, very over-processed kind of sound, that doesn't tend to um, to flow too well with me. And it didn't. So there well we go. Yes, it's extraordinarily 80s. You have to remember this is a time when Pete Townsend is trading his guitar for synth for synthesizers as well. And everybody believed that was the future. So he's trying to write about this future 
And this, you know, as Steve put it, yes, there should have been three more songs to explain the story leading up to this, because we are waist deep into the story as written in the, the inside cover. And the as a narrative, it's not very good because I never picked up on what they were trying to say when the song was popular. It was only much later. But, you know, whatever. This Everything, it is what it is. But if you guys keep hating on this record, we might end up with a cold war. And that was a, <laughs> that was an appropriate segue. Oh, is it me? Back to me. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> so I think this is where Tommy's singing. Uh, and I, yes, I almost yes, got yes. the feeling knowing a little bit of the backstory. I'm like, you know, I, it almost feels like, okay, you know, Dennis says to Tommy, all right, well, you know, why don't you try and, you know, add a story about the, you know, the concept and you sing it and lay it out there. So it almost feels like um, this is a more rocked up version of of, of Mr. Roboto, um, where 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 Duncan we were like, oh, there's, I don't think there's any rock at all. I agree. There's zero rock in Mr. Roboto. Not not a not a trace of rock. It is all synth pop. But even calling it prog, I think, is is uh, is, is 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 overly generous. But. So this feels like uh, Tommy, like trying to get with the program. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to write more. I'm going to follow the storyline a little bit. It's going to be a little more sticks. Like uh, you forget your first glimpse of a guitar. I hear a guitar and uh, a very mediocre guitar solo, which was disappointing. Um, I feel like it's trying to move the story along, which is helpful. I like Tommy's voice better, to be honest with you. So this was, uh, you know, then Dennis's. Um, so this is just uh, very unmemorable. I, I think there's other songs on on the record that are, uh, including Mr. Roboto, that are more memorable. This is Tommy trying to chip in. Um, and putting it second on the first side, again, seems really weird uh, sequencing to me. It, it doesn't make any sense for the song. Yeah, I agree with most of what you said there. This is more rock. You've got a little bit of a riff going on underneath the chorus hook. But overall, it still feels kind of lightweight. It's very poppy. Um, it's very cheesy. There's one point where it's just laughable, where I almost laughed out loud. There's this funky synth calypso kind of sound for the verse. And I thought, what are they doing here? This just feels ridiculous. Um, the, the, having said that, the chorus hook is catchy. And it's like, again, it's great for what it is. It's slick 80s synth pop, proggy, rocky stuff mor you could perhaps say um and yes there's a lead guitar there's a solo quite bluesy quite slick and i thought that kind of worked over the funky grooves but um it's not doing it for me there's just not enough grit to it and for for something that's supposed to be i guess edgy this is supposed to be about a dystopia we're supposed to be feeling the darkness here we're supposed to be in a sci-fi movie it just feels all way too lightweight and why have they got funky synth calypso sections going on so i don't know on one level it's great for what it is but it is not doing it for me at all the the funky calypso sections and things like that that is in because that's the music that dr righteous wants you to hear it's moral music so it's I see. Like, this is a bit like Alice Cooper goes. Hey, to hell. I was gonna say that. Yes, right. it's exactly like Dr. an Alice Cooper. Calypso. I I should have known that before I started. <laughs> it would help to have that information beforehand. But uh, he also likes jazz. 
you know. Oh, there we go. But yeah, it's it's just like Alice Cooper singing disco. He sings disco yes. and Alice Cooper goes to hell in the song about how he's in hell. So he hears about you're in hell uh, via disco. Uh, you know, it, it's Barry this whole meta thing. All of that being said, the song Cold War sucks. This song is awful. It is forgettable. It is, yeah, it's Tommy Shaw trying to get with the program. In the previous song, he was also trying to get with the program by playing a Japanese shamisen, which I don't even know if I ever heard it on there. He's credited with it, I assume, and I'm assuming it's on Mr. Roboto. I don't know. Uh, But you know what? What you're probably not going to hear me say is if the next song is like this, you won't hear me say, don't let it end. Oh, man. I see. I knew someone was going to grab that line. So that was my first one. I get to grab the lines. Please let it end. I I, I get to grab the lines. There you go. Well, I have other notes. I knew someone had to say it before I could. It couldn't be. I mean, I don't know if they're like teeing it up for critics, but I mean, Jesus, I mean, they really, is that really what you want to call a a song? Um, Yeah, the the cliche. I I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to be cliched and overuse the word cliche because that, that, then you really start going down a rabbit hole with, with some of these songs. Um, but I think the, the, the cliches on this record are iconic. Oh my God. And, and I think this song, they particularly jump out. Uh, my understanding is this was also a hit song as well too. Don't let it. Yes, end. it was. This is also part of the story and it had a video that was part of the story as well. I didn't watch it. It makes no sense. This song is about don't let your relationship end. What are we talking about? There's no relationship in the story. Right. Okay. How, how this even got on the like, yeah. How this got on the record, I don't know. If Dennis like, hey, I got this other song. It's going to be a hit. We're going to have to wedge its way in here, but don't worry. And at first I thought maybe, you know, all right, maybe his girlfriend slash wife, a significant other, died. And I was like, wow, nope, this is really nope. starting to get they're, dark. They're still together. But he's just like, still together. I miss her. I just miss her. I just miss her. So that was terrible. Um, the guitar solo was inching a little better. I like the guitar solo. And, and I'll probably fall again on, and, and this is my go-to thing, is like more guitar. I feel like the guy who wants more cowbell, you know, in songs. And I don't want to be that guy, but it feels like more guitar, more guitar, more guitar For as we get progressively farther into the record. I did like that it was what there was a better solo. I liked it that it was inching a little bit more towards classic sticks vibe. Unfortunately, it would start reminding me of other stick songs. <laughs> like, and I was like, they were still not necessarily rocking songs, but I was just like, um, that best of time song. I was like, I kept starting to think of that song. I was like, well, that's not this song at all. And maybe it comes later on, but I was like, I really like that song. And as I'm listening to this, it's not, song, all, it's not on this album though. It's like, but then, so I didn't like the song, uh, obviously, um, but it felt like it was inching towards more stick stuff, so it gave me hope for the future. Sure, yeah, I agree with a lot of that. This um, starts off kind of balladic, very synthy, and it kicks in uh, in double time. It's very musical theatre again. It's a bit rock and rolly. It's a bit balladic, very poppy. Some fantastic vocal performances, but it's just so 80s cheesy. Um, the, the guitar solo does exactly what you'd expect with some nice harmonies at the end, and it's technically perfect. The chorus is catchy, but for me, it's just far too musical theatre and far too cheesy. Um, so, again, great for what it is on so many levels, but it's not doing it for me at all. 
This song is literally the Dennis DeYoung sweet spot. I believe after this album, he starts releasing solo records. I have a couple of them. And there, there's a band that a friend of mine is in called, that was in called The Fins. It's now become, now in, he's now in another band that's similar called Fins Motel. And I'm like, you know, The Fins Motel is great if you loved all the slow songs from The Fins. And that's how Dennis DeYoung's solo career is. If you love all the ballads from Styx, if that's your jam, his solo career, you, he's gonna, he's got you. He's got you for 45 minutes of some of the worst ballads out there. Uh, this song is just classic Dennis DeYoung schmaltz. You know, it could be Babe, it could be Don't Let It End, it could be Light Up. I mean, it's just that, that uh, the song you said, Best of Times. I mean, it's just, it, this is classic Dennis. You're, you're either going to love this or you're going to hate this. It is bland and inoffensive. I guess that's the best way I can put it. But if there is uh, somebody here from a stoner rock instrumental doom band, it is high time they started talking. Oh, I, I unfortunately I'm gonna have to I have to go to all my notes for this. High time, wish I was. <laughs> that was a part I'm gonna start with that one. I assume no one was gonna grab that as well. Um I feel like they start explaining the, the the story starts to get going here for me. I know there's other story in the in the other songs, but I'm like, okay, here we go. We're starting to tell the story. But I yeah, there was a couple of notes I was like, I was like, it's definitely the least rock and roll song ever that talks about rock and roll. I mean, they reference rock and roll, and the song doesn't sound at all to me like rock and roll. No, it's like hey. jazzy. It's like jazzy honky tonk. Uh, like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not even sure what the description was to the. I, I know in a later song he kind of he drifts into like an Elvis imitation, which I actually kind of liked. I'll get to that one later, but but this was definitely the least rock and roll song that references rock and roll. And I was also going to say it's the song about revolution. It's a song about revolution. And it's a song least likely to actually start a revolution. And so it's like, really? That, that is, this is how you're going to, you know, get people riled up. You're going to bore them into, you're going to bore them into revolution. Yeah. It started like making like, you know, Baba O'Reilly or all those other songs really about revolution that even then you're kind of like wondering about it. Like now that's a song about starting a revolution. Um, but he did have this line that I loved. It was like, let's start a rockupation. <laughs> I I heard that and I had to go back and listen to it again. And I was like, wow, this is actually, that's actually pretty clever. And, and, and it was like, finally a moment of cleverness. And I was like, okay, maybe there's somewhere to go here. Even if it's not gripping me at all, at least throw some cleverness into the, into the mix. Uh, there's a guitar solo at the end that kind of fades out that I was kind of digging a little bit, but of course it started happening and they're starting to turn it down. I was like, oh, I'd like to hear more of that. Um, gotta keep it on the download it's outlawed oh well okay well that was part of the narrative and the last thing was that that the synth is trying is doing some horn lines and the, immediately i thought to myself boy if it had some real horns in this i could kind of really gravitate to this you know because I, I, I love think horns they actually and... i think they actually are real horns there are there is a horn section on this record if you look at the is there really yeah you know what maybe they just like like overproduced it so far think, that it just yeah. sounds like synth horns i think that i think that's my apologies then well they should have hired some sounded like synth lines and it was like you, it's your sticks you couldn't afford to pay a couple of horn players well like, you know maybe they should have got played. some good horn players Oh, okay. Ooh. My apologies to the horn players and to, you know, not to the person who produced it and tweaked them to make them sound like more synths, which makes no sense. But uh, it was Dennis DeYoung, by the way. 
It's it's listed as arranged and produced by Sticks. I'm just going to call that Dennis DeYoung. Okay. Fair enough. That, that would be like I'm, if Pink I'm, Floyd I'm, if Pink Floyd had produced the wall. You know who's doing it. Yeah. I just want to be there. Excuse me, could you make your horn sound a little more synthy than a little less horn horny to me? Well, you can't well we can't be horny on this cuz that would be uh, that is against the narrative. There we go. Okay. All right. Well, so my take on this, yeah, this is um, this is a strange song. I would call it a jazzy blues mixed with show tunes, gone synth pop. So you've got jazzy bluesy show tunes delivered with synth pop arrangement and instrumentation. Nailed um, it. Yeah, it's about breaking out of prison and revolution. The chorus is super catchy, but really musical theater-esque. It's like, it's got this Steely Dan vibe, but more cheesy. And you've even got this da-da-da-da-da thing, you know, the classic line, um, that that blues, and that's where the horns come in. And then you've got a guitar so solo um, and some more brass and guitar licks, and it all fades out, as Steve said. So again, I, I just cannot get into this. It's just too over the top. It's too overproduced. It's too overarranged. They're throwing too many things into the mix. Um, it just doesn't sit right. And again, it's that thing that Nick's mentioned, a bit like Alice Cooper Goes to Hell, where they're, they're playing in a style that they almost don't like as, to, to show a part of the story because this is supposed to illustrate music, which they're supposed to be being led to liking, which isn't rock and roll. I don't know if I'm making any sense here, but you know what no, I mean? Perfect sense. And playing, I, I've got a great analogy when it's my turn for this. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think it's your turn now, Nick. So yeah, this okay. one didn't my boat too much. <laughs> you know, it's like when you watch Futurama, right? Everybody loves Futurama. And then there's uh -huh. Zoidberg and you're supposed to hate Zoidberg. And I hate that character so much that I will not watch a Zoidberg-centric episode. And that's what they're doing here. It's like, oh, we're, we can't do rock music because that's what the story says. So we're going to do this in synthy, you know, non-threatening music. Well, yeah, but now it's kind of bad. High Time 1 should have been the first track. The, the, the story hasn't even really started yet. So this is kind of the beginning of the story. So you put that one at the beginning. Uh, Mr. Roboto, if you flip Mr. Roboto in this song, we're probably a lot better narrative-wise. Starts to make more sense. However, best lyrics on the whole record are in this song. However, this might be the worst song on the record. So nicely done. You nailed it. Wow. Uh, let's flip the record. We're going to go to side two now. Uh, and if you stay away from lead paint so you don't get heavy metal poisoning. <laughs> there's so, uh, you know, at first, I, my first line was going to be, this is like, there's no actual metal in the heavy metal song, which I assumed wasn't. But then I, when I listened again, I was like, okay, well, I get I get what they're going for to to simulate heavy metal. Um, and it's, I got, it's 1980s sitcom heavy metal. Right. And, and, I, and I got that this is OK. This is where the uh, the backward masking thing is like, OK, really, this is what we're addressing here. Uh, why sticks got named for backward masking or whatever. That that's, a, I assume, a story unto itself. I, I felt bad that um, whoever does the voice of Dr. Righteous, I don't know who that was in the band. J.Y. J.Y. OK, he got 
stuck. It feels like he got stuck with that job. But then it started making me think more that and and you mentioned about the whole Pink Floyd, you know, you know, the American Pink Floyd. And then it got me thinking again about how as much as Rush did this concept that that this was really about the time of the wall. I mean, the wall was a couple of years. I know it came in and out in same time as the movie. But then the movie came out. The movie came out in 82 and this comes out while they're recording and this comes out in 83. So I'm wondering how much of an influence the wall more like, you know, the concept, the big concept record and the movie and everything like that really played, uh, you know, influenced them. And and but then when I started thinking about the wall and Roger Waters doing characters and they would say they're bringing the same thing, you know, on the record, you know, someone's got to do the voice of Pink, someone's got to do the voice to this person. And, and it almost felt like Dr. Righteous should have a song, uh, but maybe it would kind of go back and forth. You know, I don't want to hear Dr. Righteous's voice in the beginning of a, a stick song. You know, if you want to introduce him later on in the concept, in the song, okay, here's Dr. Righteous giving his speech. But having him, like, you know, basically carry the entire tune, I, that bothered me, you know, was, from a conceptual point of view. Um, so that was... Uh, but I will say that the guitar tone on the solo was awesome. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> and that and I real... saying, so again, it feels like side two, they're like, okay, let, let's kind of make this a little bit more of a sticks record. So I feel like they're moving in the right direction. Let me jump in before Duncan. I'm going to do my part this time so I can explain the video for this one. The video for this one is the MMM cable network channel, the Dr. Righteous show. So it pans up and out comes jy is righteous and to the the point of the american pink floyd i would say that james has is the american roger waters voice not the writer not anything else but just the the singing voice it's the the one you don't want to use all that much it's too much snarl not enough melody and so he so it makes sense that he gets stuck with dr righteous because it's his voice is going to be greater greater and less melodic so he's got, you know, the Lieutenant Vanish and Colonel Handjob or whatever their names were. <laughs> Lieutenant Vanish and Colonel There's Hyde. a concept. Colonel Handjob. Right there. So Colonel Hyde, Colonel Hyde and Lieutenant Vanish are the twins, the Panazzo twins behind him, which makes for this, this scene to be all the more surreal. But if you look at the picture of him, like any pictures of him as Dr. Righteous, it looks like he's making fun of a mentally challenged person because he's making these ridiculous, ludicrous faces that are awful. So as they're singing this song, Righteous goes into a dance where he's like going back and forth like the Panama dance. And then the two twins are doing the exact same thing behind him, but they're doing it in opposite directions. I mean, it's just the greatest, cheesiest thing in the world. And so... Inhale in Panama? Yeah, like that. Okay. Similar to that. Kind of, kind of picture that. And they're wearing like, like Cuban heels and like these big <laughs> shoes. And I mean, it's it's so it's so over the top, awesome. And it's like the '80s version of the future. So he's wearing like a suit with like that kind of like hangs over like the the really pointy shoulder pads. And then it's got you know black into the gray. It's it's awesome. You got to watch the video for this. Heavy metal poisoning. It's the only ninth video from 1983. I'm pretty sure that sex and drugs, sex and drugs, sex and drugs is in the chorus. Might be why it didn't get played. So the the video shows a parent trying to bring their son to be de-heavy metalized. So while Dr. Righteous is mind controlling him and, he's, and he sings the line, I will twist your little mind. Okay, so 
you can't, you know, like in Futurama, you 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 can't just have your your characters sing what they're feeling. That makes me feel angry when you do that. Get you know, irony, irony. Anyway, <laughs> okay. So, and then while this is going on, Jonathan Chance, aka Tommy Shaw, comes in with his guitar, and so he plays the solo to show them that rock is the way. And I'm like, this is stupid. And then it gets into a fight with like all of them and runs out. I don't know how the 18 security guards could not catch him, but they could not. He's too slippery and wiry and him holding a Les Paul that he didn't even hit him with. There's just too much for them to handle. And they're in a TV studio. How did he get out? He should not have been able to get out. Just going to throw that out there. This is, should have been Jonathan Chance in prison with Kilroy. That should have been the next song based on what I saw in the video. Didn't go that route. So then they show the family, and the, the son has now been, like, jazzercised, and he's got, like, you know, a little perm. He doesn't have his long hair, and his jean jacket's gone, and he's just, like, and they're, like, smiling, and he's got, like, that lobotomized smile. So as for the song, oh, God, uh, yeah, it's a song. It, it's a definitely on the record. Oh, I'll go and watch it, but I'm going to watch that Panama video. <laughs> now you got me wanting to go see that one. Well, um, I like this song more. I thought it was probably the best track so far, although that might be damning with faint praise in some ways. This is the one that starts with the backward masking. It has an actual rock riff, which is pretty good. I wouldn't say it's really metal, but it's a heavy-ish rock riff. The verses are still fairly rock. Slightly demonic affected vocals, which were a little bit silly, but they, you know, they're within the bounds of acceptability. Chorus with loads of harmonies, very slick, but not bad. Um, this is where I really noticed the wall comparison. You've got what sounds like a group of children shouting out um, rock and roll and towards the end shouting out the sex and drugs bit as well. Um, and there's a guitar solo in there, which, you know, is pretty good. It's nothing to set the world on fire, but it's a pretty decent guitar solo. And it ends with the kids shouting. So... This is where I thought, yeah, I already kind of knew they were trying to be Pink Floyd doing the wall. And here they are trying to do their version of another brick in the wall. And it's all right. It works pretty well. It, you know, like I say, I am damning with faint praise slightly, but it's probably my favorite track on the album so far, at least. Well, if we just push along, I'll just just get through this night. Just get through the song. <laughs> See, you set me up again with that one. Uh, it sounds like a ballad. I think it's a ballad about acting, which is bizarre to me. My only other note is Ugh. Uh, first song that would probably be the worst song on any other Styx album. Wow. That's a lot of these songs, in fairness. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, I, I can't I can get over the... the I, again, I got confused about it. It really felt like uh, someone who had stage fright or had to do an acting job and just had to get through it. Maybe I'm, I'm, I'm misreading it, but I'm like, holy crap, This I don't get this at all. Even with the storyline, it didn't seem to make much sense. Um, it is a ballad, uh, but yeah, I I didn't like the song at all. I had no, I have nothing nothing good to add or or say about it. Sorry, this one's a, this was a zero. That's fine. Move, moving yeah. on, Duncan. This one was yeah. this one was okay for me, um, but not particularly remarkable. This is one of the songs where I believe he is playing the shamisen, the um, Japanese stringed instrument, which you can hear quite prominently at the start over the top of a synth drone. 
Yeah, it's got this dark ballad feel. It kicks in with an accordion-style synth. I presume it's a synth, not an actual accordion or similar instrument. Falsetto vocals. The drums come in with more balladic vocals going along. Um, it's very musical theatre again. I'm not a big fan of most musical theatre music. Mm -hmm. Sorry, it's just not for me for the most part. Um, it's catchy, but it's just so overblown. There's a bit of a guitar riff on the chorus section, and then you've got a guitar solo with a backwards effect. It was just okay. That's all I have on this one. That's fair. You know, honestly, I wasn't going to actually listen to this record again for, for this podcast because I know it so well. And I listened to this record again twice today, at least side two twice. So that way I would remember, you know, the soft underbelly of the record. I have no recollection of this song ever existing, and I've listened to it twice today. Wow. If that doesn't explain how I feel about this one, I don't know what to do. I could lie to you and tell you something about it, but then it would just be me leading a double life. Double, oh, that's me. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Get it. I do a little pun um, each day on each track. Yeah, I, I think I, I think this is where I started. I actually started liking things a little bit more. Uh, it, it started to sound like a classic sticks. I, that, that's where, and that I found that helpful. It also reminded me of, I, I just assumed that whoever wrote Renegade wrote this song because it's got that. That is record. correct. Okay. Because it that was the song I was hearing. Again, it reminded me of a stick song I like better, but... I, it really started to feel more like classic sticks. I was kind of get some energy. I think that's what a lot of this record is missing is energy. And you don't usually think of sticks with, 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 with lacking energy. Uh, but it started, things are starting to pick up a little bit. Uh, it had the Dr. Righteous vocals, or maybe it's just because that's, um, that's the other young that's doing the, um, doing, doing the vocals on that song. Or maybe it's I'm sorry. Song. I was wrong. No, no, no. Uh, this is, this is not, uh, Tommy Shaw wrote Renegade. This is this is young. I apologize. Oh, okay. Uh, well, anyway, you kind of mind that bouncy, doon, 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 which I liked. Um, but I, I, so things were starting to pick up for me a little bit here. Uh, so I would say this is probably one of the, the more okay songs that that I've heard so far on the record. Um, I don't really remember what it was about. Uh, yeah, I have nothing more. You're on mute, Duncan. Sorry, well, this one started with a flute-like synth ostinato. Um, then that is some... the first time the word ostinato has been dropped on this podcast. <laughs> I'm going to get addicted. Hang I on don't second. know. <laughs> I think I've used it before. I'm sure I would have done, but who knows? Um, then it comes in with a Define minor Define ostinato, please. Just kind of like a riff, but it doesn't have to. But less like a rock guitar thing and more just like a repeated pattern. Just a repeated musical pattern, basically. That's it. Um so then some minor key dark 80s synths and dark ballad vocals come in and then it kicks in quite fast you've got some verses with these over dramatic slightly silly vocals which i was not into and then you've got this chorus full of harmonies and it's super catchy like europe style heavy metal the poppy end of heavy metal almost quasi disco with some four to the floor beats going on with the kick drum and you know what? It's really, really super cheesy, but it is great for what it is, for that very poppy, heavy metal-ish, rock, synthy prog thing, whatever you call it. They've nailed that really well. 
it's not for me, but they're doing it great. Well, with that, I'm going to just tell you again. I don't recommend I don't remember this song at all either and I listened to it twice today. How I there are these two songs in the middle. This is what I call the soft underbelly of a record. Side 2 is where you, side 2 tracks 2 and 3 is where you stick your stinkers. Because then they're not remembered. You remember the first track, you remember the last track of a side no matter what. And I know you're thinking to my I know you're thinking to yourself, Nick, we have all heard this from you. You've said this so many times. Haven't we just haven't we been here before? Well, these song titles are just writing the critique themselves. <laughs> is it really? I mean, <laughs> I, that's really all you have to do is the uh, say the title of the song, and it pretty much sums up my feeling about this one or the other songs. Um, this is, is I start my notes are it starts off bad and it gets worse. Um, but I will say that this is Ouch. where the, this is where the uh, the Dennis DeYoung Broadway thing really starts to hit home. You really feel like okay, now I'm writing for theater. And I came away thinking this would make more sense in an actual theater. Um, it would be less cringeworthy to me, I guess, if I was seeing it with some action going on, not necessarily the action of the movie, but some sort of like live action thing going on. But I really get a Broadway sense from this song. I, I didn't like the song, but it, it, I think it might make more sense in another context yeah i can see that i i don't know if i liked it or not i no i don't think i did like it it was a slow six eight this this one has a music video as well by the way i haven't seen it but it was a slow six eight it has a music video and the music video for this one uh, does not have anything to do with the story. The th first three videos they did were recorded at the same time as making the mini film. This was recorded yeah. a few months later. Yeah, and I think the lyrical context probably doesn't have much to do with the story either, although I'm not sure lyrical content, should I say. Um, but yeah, those dramatic vocals, again, balladish vocals. Um, it's supposed to be a bit of a tearjerker. It's got an almost medieval sound in the verses. The chorus has a semblance of a riff and plenty of vocal harmonies. Very, very musical theatre style. Again, Broadway, as Steve was saying. You've got this um, twin guitar thing going on for where they repeat the chorus melody and then they go into a solo, which is all right. And then you've got more of the vocal version of the chorus. I don't know. I think I just found it all too much, too cheesy. It's just not for me. It was it was okay. Just I'm saying the same thing for most of these tracks that in a lot of ways they're great for what they are, but it's really really just not for me this. Uh, I'm going to take this opportunity to point out and remind everyone listening and joining me with the podcast, Dennis DeYoung wrote this album as a stage show. He saw this as an album and stage show. So, stage show. so when you bring up musical theater, yeah, he definitely was going straight up musical theater on this one. As for this song, it is kind of, it. it's the okayest song on the album. It's not bad. It's not great. It's, but side two, for the most part, is not a good side. And I'm just going to throw out there the Don't Let It End reprise is completely unnecessary and does not do anything so i'm gonna move into my sum up if you don't mind this album on, on a narrative level fails 
on a musical level also kind of fails because as Steve points out three, four or five times in the course of eight tracks, these songs remind him of better stick songs. So we have watered down sticks tracks. Now, am I a spinet or am I a Bennett? Well, I bought this twice in the last year. So I'm, I'm still a spinet, even though it's bad. Because uh, I unapologetically and unironically like poor concept records. I like bad concept records as much as I like good ones. I yield my time. Yeah, Steve, well... Oh, sorry, Dan. Uh, no, Dan. Steve, go on, go on, carry on. Um, as, as much as I... Uh, I I, I've been really down on this record. I will have to say that I am a big supporter of concept records and I am a much more supporter of a band that, that, that tries to go big and fails than just <clears throat> phones it in. And so I applaud them for, for at least making the effort. The end results are not what I would call successful. Um, or good. And I, I, yeah, I, I mean, uh, I I would probably um, I would probably bin it for sure. Would I buy it? it I you know <laughs> let's think about bin it or record, bin it like, means will you listen to this again on purpose? If you answer yes, uh, then you're a spin it. I'm a bin it. I won't listen to it on uh, 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 on, uh, on on purpose. But I, I do I do wonder though whether you know having it on vinyl, having the artwork there in front of me. Putting it on at home in that environment might improve things for me. Uh, and again, I, I feel like I've been hard on this record, and 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 rightfully so, because I don't think it's very good. But I do applaud them making the effort to to do the concept. I'm a big fan of concept records in general. And again, I'd like to I like seeing bands make an attempt and try something, even if it's overdone and bloated, rather than playing it safe sometimes and and just giving us more but more a watered down version of that. So, uh, and, and, and the very end of the, of, of the, uh, the don't let it end thing again, not didn't remind me of another sticks record. It reminded me of the Rocky horror picture show. Uh, there was yeah. moments of it. And, they, and it, then it sort of like made me think about, okay, I really like Rocky horror. And it, it seemed like a way of, of bringing that rock element to a more of a, a, a theater kind of thing. Which is instead of instead of trying to redo the wall and trying to instead of trying to do twenty one twelve, maybe they would have been better off trying to do Rocky Horror. And it, it, there was moments there where I think they would have had more success. Interesting insight. Yeah. Well, yeah, it is notable just to go to that last track. Don't let it end. Reprise. It starts off with a bit of Mister Roboto. And then it goes into this rock and roll version of Don't Let It End, where he's singing in an Elvis style. And it's like, yeah, I get the point of what you're doing. You're trying to go full on rock and roll back to its roots, but it's totally cheesy. Um, yeah, this is a strange one because, as I've said throughout, in many ways, this is absolutely great for what it's trying to do. Um I don't know if it's the best concept album, but there's a certain style which I can't quite put my finger on. This early 80s kind of M.O.R. pop prog rock thing, which a few other bands, I don't know, maybe like um, that early 80s era of Yes, perhaps did with Owner of a Lonely Heart and that album. Um, like these guys are doing that sort of thing really kind of well. 
but that sort of thing's not for me. Although, having said that, I really like Owner of a Lonely Heart, so maybe I take it all back, <laughs> and maybe I'm making no sense here at all. But I feel like there's a style which these guys have really got nailed down, and it's not quite, yes, Owner, owner of a Lonely Heart. Maybe it's more like the whole Europe thing, and I've really got it, but it's just so, so not for me at all. Um, so for me, this has to be a Binit. Um, and that's it, really. That's all I have to say. I'm content being the lone spin it. I will spin it again. I will not buy it again because I bought the 180 gram pressing years ago and then I upgraded to an original pressing last month. I am done there. Uh, I will say, uh, Steve, thank you for joining us again. You are always welcome back. You are such a wonderful, good sport when it comes to this stuff. And I appreciate that. Duncan, as always, it is good seeing you. Good talking to you. And for everybody else listening, thank you very much for joining us this week. If you could please tell a friend, tweet us, tweet at us, tweet our link, Facebook, share anything. Anything you can do to interact with the podcast as you see it online. We do not have a PR firm. We do not have a network. So anything you can do for us is exceptionally appreciated. Thank you very much. And as always, this has been the Department of Metal Antiquities. We listened, and now it's your turn.